Welcome to season three of Ask Adelaide and Anna. I'm Adelaide Jagade. And I'm Anna Ile, and we are artists and friends. This stay-at-home season, we give advice to both individuals and art institutions. We're recording from a basement bedroom in Portland, Oregon, in the U.S. And here by a window in a studio apartment in Stavanger, West Coast, Norway. You'll hear us talking with art students. From Kunstskolen i Stavanger, artist friends in Oslo, and staff at Nationalmuseet in Oslo. Mostly recording from all of our phones. And now we'll hear from an artist friend. I'm Ebba, Ebba Moy. I'm an artist. Uh, I'm originally from Sweden. I live in Oslo and I'm working also as a curator and a lot of other stuff. Uh, but mostly everything is concerning art. It's part of my artistic practice, you could say. Great. Being a curator, for example. And also I'm the board leader of the Norwegian Sculptures Organization. And it's a uh, disclosure, it's, uh, it's through union stuff, organization stuff that I got to met Ebba. Before that, yeah. we've just been a fan of the place that she's running from a distance. That's true. <laughs> I'm also part of an uh, artist-run space called Tent House, mm. in, based in Oslo. So the first, mm. uh, the question that we have... Let me just find it here. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's a question for the museum, but uh, um, I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective on this. Okay. How, um, how can smaller institutions work better with the National Museum? How can they create a better working relationship with the museum? What kind of relationship? What kind of a relationship? Um... Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I believe that during this period when the Norwegian National Museum has been closed, uh, actually they could have done done this. They could have had a lot of uh, uh, different collaboration with small artist-run institutions, for example. I mean, when they don't have a space, we have a space. Oh. So, mm. I, in in my opinion, they could have already been doing that. But I, I think it's a little bit more difficult when they are moving into their new space to uh, to be there as, a, as an artist-run space. Because, I mean, we are... It's something with the inde- independency or being independent and having our own space and and making our own um, uh, platform somehow, mm. uh, which is quite hard to to uh, um, make, I mean, to, to go there inside the, I mean, inside the architecture of the National Museum. But of course, it's, uh, I, I think, I think they want also to invite, um, I, I've already talked to them a little bit and I think they have plans to invite organizations, smaller organizations and and to have some kind of takeover. So I kind of, mm. and this is a kind of a trend also. I mean, if you look at Tate in London, uh, they have this called Tate Exchange and they are inviting um, organizations all the time as, as kind of takeovers. So they are coming into the institutions and do what they do there. Mm. Um, Can you say something like, yeah. then Then mm. what, what would it mean? Uh, so let's say like with a place that you're, uh, that you run, 
mm. or like a similar sign like yeah or just like talk from your from your point of view mm. then. like what would it mean to to do something with them or inside or yeah what is like the yeah. benefit with the museum yeah um <laughs> i mean i would i would actually rather them to come to tent house because mm. um i mean we are working so much at, at tent house we're working so much uh to um uh open up for uh, uh kind of open up the art scene we are collaborating with schools and i think i know that this is something also that the national museum wants but it's much easier somehow to invite uh, these school classes for us than inside the National Museum. Uh, it's somehow that you come, we come with all our uh, kind of um, experience and credibility with the, and, uh, and kind of experience with schools and take it with us to mm. the National Museum. And then we give them some credit. So I'm a little bit critical to this uh, um, inviting, actually inviting organizations in the in the museum and just do whatever uh, you like in the museum because um, this oh, is something so that, that it's like so, yeah. because then they would then the museum wouldn't take responsibility. They would yeah, just... somehow they they this is this is uh, knowledge and experience that the museum needs, of course. But they, I mean, I think they should maybe um, collaborate in a way because all these small institutions, they are very low uh, financed. You have kind of, you have earned all this, all this much uh, by hard work somehow. Mm. (laughs) And then you just go into the museum and give them the best of yourself somehow. uh, If you understand what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I think this is something that happens, for example, in Tate Exchange. In um, as far as I I don't know mm. if you know about it, but it's I don't know if Ten Thousand would probably we, we would say yes if if the National Museum invite invited us to to go there. Uh, but there are so much somehow we would like to change. I think yeah, yeah. in being there so. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if it's possible to do it the other way mm. around. What if but they what, could but what come would to you, us? Uh, I'm just wondering. So, yeah. if, but but why would they come to you? Like, what would be? Uh, why would that be I interesting mean, to you? Um. Yeah. Maybe because they have so much resources and and uh, they could. <laughs> They could uh, and experiences that they could share with the artist run spaces. Mm. Uh, yeah, but um, I don't know what. Do, what do you think is this of these um, smaller institutions going into the to these bigger institutions and and kind of uh, giving a free space? I'd be curious what the motivation was. Hmm. Like you said, you know, you've you've put in a lot of work and built something yourself, and then for them to come and uh, benefit from your work, I feel like you'd have to know what you were getting out of it too. Besides, you know, a bit maybe a bigger audience than you had. Mm. Mm, of course, the the bigger audience is something that you that's a benefit. That's maybe, of course, a part that that's not uh, something that we can prioritize as a small institution. Mm. And generally, I'm mm. a big fan of long-term commitments, <laughs> um, and that's something I would 
definitely question for myself. It's all also feels weird just with this uh, podcast season, you know, like we can sort of benefit from it uh, because it's another season and but but uh but I'm also what are we doing for the museum? Of course, I know partly what we're doing for the museum, but is that actually cool what we're doing for the museum? I'm not sure. But mm. uh but within our but for us it can be useful um it can be useful in terms of uh, yeah career well, wise <laughs> that i'm actually not sure uh, well hopefully but but i think because yeah. uh, we were discussing like how can we continue doing this like uh we were been like applying or trying to find a way how we could finance like doing another season yeah. and we were like mm. oh great we could do another season but then let's uh, yeah but then the thing about doing another season that's commissioned by an institution is they want something you know it's not like do your thing Adelaide it's like we have our goals of why we have asked you to come or you know mm. yeah um, and then mm. we're like oh well we can give the institution advice well we can help them but then they're like well does the museum well do we actually want to say that we want your help you know, like even that has been sort of a difficult to swallow for the institution. It's like, well, we're an advice podcast. <laughs> Sorry, if you want yeah. us, you need our help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, I think that's that's a cool approach. I like that. I just thought that could be an idea that that uh, the institutions could come and smaller institutions could come and help the museum with something. Then that they say that they can uh, anyway. Uh, maybe are um, honest with that that we invite mm. you because we can't uh, uh, cover everything mm-hmm. yeah oh that's actually example. true because it's yeah. it's still somehow like the problem is mm. as well like uh, being used by a larger institution or to get like a stamp of oh look we're by by including this institution all of a sudden we can take off like eight boxes when it comes to this and this and that Mm. Uh, but actually be like hey we need your help for the next three years Mm. or I don't know like for a period of time so that we can develop our skills when it comes to this and that Mm. yeah if they come from a place of not being the ones who have all the answers and have everything and I think that's what we want from this this uh season of the podcast like institutions do need to to ask other people for advice like there are a lot of people who have observed um you know, things that need to be changed and their voices haven't been heard or even considered. And so that's why we're talking to all kinds of people, you know, students and artists who've had experiences Mm. with institutions. Like, what are the things that you've Mm. um, noticed or felt Mm. that now you have Mm. a chance to say it and they have to listen? At least listen. I mean, it might not result in any change, Uh, but... I don't know if they'll listen, (laughs) but they'll, they'll at least, like, put us on their platforms. Yes. Oh, or Instagram, at someone, least. Someone there will listen. <laughs> probably they will listen. So um, I think this question is probably from the museum or another institution. Which kinds of games or challenges can the art institutions do to attract more visitors? Sorry, which kinds of games? Games or challenges. <laughs> games or challenges. Oh, it's a little to... bit funny. Yeah, to attract more audience. You know what I picture? I picture, have you seen those like air, like at a car? I don't know if you have this in Norway, but like where people are selling cars, there's like this figure that's filled with air and just kind of flops around. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, to get your attention. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they could have this uh, climb wall outside the museum <laughs> that people can now can. <laughs> what's it called when you can climb? It can be like an act active attraction for yeah sports. I also sports, really like sports is very popular. Yeah, but free stuff. I like. I really like free stuff. You know, like yeah. if I could get some free stuff, I would go there like every morning before work. <laughs> breakfast. If you could for breakfast. Bre- yeah, yeah, yeah. Breakfast and yoga, that could be good. That could oh, that would be so nice. <laughs> I would go there. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I'd consider moving to Oslo if I had like free breakfast and yoga every, every morning at the museum. I could like, even do like a detour. I could like bike to the city center, like do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, like... yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm, I, I really, I'm not like a game person. Yeah, me neither. But ch- n- neither challenges actually. I did, I'm so... I have, my competitive spirit is so yeah do you have no, a little bit really... of competitive spirit Abba so you get kind of excited when you hear about uh, games challenges no not really no not really <laughs> I don't know if this question is, is about uh, uh, act- attracting younger audience maybe pr- probably they want to uh, Then, but I, I would say I don't know I would say that if you're interested in games, you probably won't go to the National <laughs> Museum anyhow. <laughs> so I don't know. I think they should just be good at what they're doing, like art. So okay. I have a question based on your experience. Yeah. So how is is attracting more visitors a concern for you? Is that something you actively pursue for your space? Uh, as working with a small institution, um, uh I mean, no, not really, but but we are always concerned on uh, in. Um, I mean, tell about what talk about what we are doing, but not really because we want a bigger audience. Not m- more that we want to kind of maybe find the people that are should be interested because we want to come get outside our own network. Um, so I mean that's the most important thing not only to make it for friends yeah. <laughs> of course mm. so what are some ways yeah. that you so, do that I mean we are um, we are using the platforms which are available like a list gallery list uh, which is a public list um, and also but then it's also social media so mm. I mean it's not very easy we don't have we don't put much money in in um, I mean in this or we can't really do it so it just has to be more word by mouth maybe like mm. people are coming anyway hopefully mm. and we are trying to have a little bit more discursive program that not only exhibitions doing other stuff so we are starting to invite also people for dinners and talks and and then invite people that we don't really know uh, from a bit more interdisciplinary. Mm. Like so there you that... mentioned like dinner again, you know, like food. Free yeah. food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so food is food is a good one. It makes uh, people happy. Yeah. And it's always a good stemning. Um good atmosphere. Yeah, good as a good atmosphere. Yeah, in, uh, and also uh, try get to my. I mean, uh, making an an exhibition is really, is really, of course, good. Uh, but 
but you don't really get to talk to people about what we are working with. So in by inviting for dinners and for other kind of talks, like more informal talks, then you get kind of get deeper into the content somehow. Mm. So that's something we do. Mm. Um, so someone asked, mm. how can I succeed as an artist living in a small town? Is it always better to move to a bigger city with a bigger art community? Ah, okay. Yeah, of course it's always uh, important to uh, to do your thing, to kind of get a possibility to do what you want to do. And if that it needs a bigger city, then you maybe have to have to move. But if you can still live where you live in a smaller place and 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 be still has the possibility to work as an artist, and I mean you should try. Of course, I think it's I, I think it's possible. People are doing that anyway in Norway. It's um, there are possibilities to get grants. Uh, it's a good grant system, so you could. I don't think you have to be in Oslo to get a grant. Of course. But even if the, uh, even if that's a discussion, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's. I I think it's a bit maybe it's a bit hard question to answer for me. Yeah. <laughs> actually, but, uh, but yeah. I can also say that uh, it, I guess it's different in the different uh, cities. And but at least in mm. Norway, uh, very many cities or uh, regions have their own like local grants as well. And what it's what is, has been very obvious to me is that there is no higher education for art in Stavanger where I live, and that means as well that there's like a lot more visibility for the artists that are active in the city, and uh, people are excited when something happens. So I find that it's easier to make things happen, and mm. there is also some cultural funding, so it's like possible. And I think it's easier. I'm not quite sure, but I assume it's easier to get like funding for projects or to organize things in a smaller uh, in a smaller town mm. um, so it's, yeah, a, it's, a diff- also... it's a different type of experience but it's uh, mm. I think there's a lot of pros with a smaller town mm-hmm. and especially if you have uh, proximity to a bigger city then there's even less need to feel like you need to move there if you can go there and mingle and see openings and participate in um, the artistic scene there as well, then it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Mm. I hope, or I don't think all artists live in Oslo just to be able to go to openings. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I don't think so anyway. But it's somehow, maybe that it's because Harry's work also, maybe. Yeah. But, but I, I think you're right, uh, Anna, that it's... Um, there are many pros in in smaller places, and I have colleagues and friends moving, and they suddenly got um, to do things that they wasn't able to make in in Oslo because there are uh, a need for someone that takes the initiative initiative for that in that place, mm-hmm. for example, mm. and that's good. Yeah, mm. actually, like just the moment I moved back to Stavanger, like. I don't know if it's like politicians or people are just like, oh, there's a new like uh, under 30 or mm. maybe I was even 30 when I moved. I was, I was had I even turned 30. But there's like, there's a new young artist in town, everyone. And it's like, yeah, people like craving new blood. So yeah. um, 
So it can be, yeah. You can also have you can also have the opposite happen though when you move to a smaller place where people have a tight knit community. Is they could be like, "Who are you, and what are you trying to do here?" Yeah, I like that is actually also a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually really good you bring it up because uh, I've uh, heard that especially from people that does not speak Norwegian. Mm. Uh, you mm. know that, uh, yeah, that it's it can be difficult. I guess that's even more like uh, younger people speak more English, but I think uh, in communities that are small, uh, often the artists that are there are are already older, Mm -hmm. and many of them feel Mm -hmm. really don't like speaking English, Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, and it can be like, uh, yeah, that can be tricky. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, um, not a clear advice, but some different. Yeah, (laughs) but definitely, I I would say you definitely don't have to move to Oslo for being an artist. Mm -hmm. Just do what you do. <laughs> See possibilities where you are. So um, we have another um, uh, personal question. Um, and Audley and I have actually talked about this a little bit already, but it would be really nice to have uh, uh, someone else's take on this. So the okay. question is as follows. I keep wanting to be rude to other people. Is it okay or is it unacceptable behavior? Aha. Yeah. Keep wanting to. So this means that this person person is maybe not rude yet, but just has it in. Yeah. Keeping it inside. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Probably. And then should I let it out or not? Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah, it sounds like that. Mm. I mean, so uh, I I must say to be personal that I. I'm not very rude. <laughs> I don't really like being rude. Uh, so, but but the but the thing is, should you always do what you feel that you would like to do? That's the question. Like you have you have a, you can have lots of feelings like oh I would like to do that or that. But I mean, and I would say that no, you shouldn't really always do what you what what comes in your mind actually. So. If it comes in your mind that, oh, I want to be rude, then, hmm, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but then it, but, but then it, I, I think it depends also what, what it, what, what is the reason? I mean, has this person, person been rude to you or is it something that you really would need to, to tell someone that, I mean, this is not, then it's not okay mm. because you shouldn't really be um, accepting anything from people. Have you Either. have you had situations where you felt it was necessary to be rude? I mean, what is being rude then? Is it being like uh, um, hurting people? Well, I, uh, you could think of it as yeah. the other person would consider it rude. Maybe you are, mm-hmm. you know, you, the, yeah, the other person would be offended. But you and you know they would be, but mm. you do it anyway because of some reason. Mm. I mean, I of course I didn't, but that that's more in a, in this personal relationships when you are kind of suddenly <laughs> start to say anything, <laughs> and usually that's uh, then that's kind of uh, not not the best way to go because then everything is getting worse usually. But when I when I'm trying to see if I did that to to someone else I'm not 
I'm not totally sure. But it can just happen that I've been rude also without really knowing. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Is this your question? Or no, no. Is this... No. <laughs> no, no. It's just that we've, we've talked no. about... We, actually, like, when we discussed it, I, like, t- first I was like, no, it's not okay to be rude. Never, ex- never no. okay. And then no. at the end I was like, yes, it's really good to be rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah. I went through, like, the whole circle. Yeah. And maybe so... it can be something liberating, maybe, to allow yourself being rude. My, yeah, as my first feeling is that it ne- usually never goes somewhere because people are getting hurt and then you're like, <sighs> then you have to, like meet that yeah. feeling or it could so. be uh, escalating a situation even mm. making it worse than it was yeah i think what we concluded was that uh y- you could be selectively rude and you know mm. then it, in moments when it really matters i guess like if someone is saying something that's terrible like it can be you could be considered usually rude to walk away from them but in the, in a, that situation Maybe it's the best thing, you know, to just abruptly walk away away from someone who's saying something racist or sexist or derogatory. Of course. Mm. Yeah, of course. Of course, then... But then you are doing it as a response to to, to a situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it it really d- it depends. I mean, this... Uh, Anna, do you remember we've been t- uh, talking about Herske Teknik? What's it called? Oh, oh yeah. In um, English. It's called... Um... Uh, wait, I need to Google this. Okay. Yeah, because this is uh, something. You, this is something you can use. Use. Uh, I mean, mostly men are using it uh, to to have a power in situ- situations. It's, co- it's to... called like a master suppression techniques. It's for for example, yeah. like silencing or like just um, if it's like just to, it's a way to dominate dominate a conversation or yeah. a meeting. Mm. So they they've been yeah. studying this. So. Then. <laughs> yeah we've been we've been talking we ha- we were in, on a, a meeting together where we where this this was discussed and i mean this is something that you can they were talking about that you could learn to recognize and maybe also learn from or like maybe there are situations that you could use this as as a technique like because you then you know that you are so for you are like kinda, one would be also yeah. like to be like oh sweet Adelaide like yeah. oh, oh, make someone smaller mm-hmm. like by using yeah. their name or maybe like touching their shoulder like mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. a certain thing or or if making you, you just, smaller somehow yeah. in the situation mm-hmm. or making you invisible in mm-hmm. like a group and especially this using your name all the time, uh, a person's name when you are saying something, then then you are kind of taking you are set, set, setting yourself a little bit above that person oh, so in a situation. Yeah. So I was just thinking that this is kind of a, a rude way, but this is some somehow it can be used, but usually this is kind of uh, quite um, what do you say? It's a bit hard to 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 be uh, be in that situation when someone is using it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this person could learn from this kind of um, uh, what do, what was it called now? The, the uh, master suppression techniques. We can put a master. link under the yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, but use it uh, very carefully, I would say. Yeah, for good and not evil. <laughs> yeah. 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 And now we'll hear from an art student. 
Yeah, my name is uh, Christopher. Uh, I'm uh, 24 years old and uh, yeah, study art in Stavanger. Uh, I'm since I'm uh, first year. I'm going to uh, enter second year uh, for next year. Okay, it's really interesting to have this like. Uh... Because uh, we've talked to both uh, artists and people at the museum, so it was really nice to have these people in different uh, uh, le- not, not levels, but different what's what's it stages. called, like different stages. Yeah. Uh, in the arts. Yeah. I'm curious. So we were talking to uh, second year students before, but I'm curious how, um, like, what your what your daily life looks like now as a first year student, because you would normally be taking a lot of uh, courses. Where you'd uh, yeah. be in the classroom working with other students. Mm-hmm. So has that has some of that been difficult? Like, are there any classes that aren't possible to do, um, you know, remotely? Uh, not yet. I have not encountered any difficulties uh, so far in uh, this period of time. Of course, it is uh, difficult when it comes to. Um, like now with uh, materials, if I'm going to create something that is physical. Uh, so most of things has to be created digital. Uh, and mm-hmm. so far it has been possible. Mm-hmm. Was that a way that you were already working? Or has that is that a change? Uh, it's kind of the same way that I've been uh, already working. But I, of course, like models. So... And then I have a little, uh, I have some materials I can use, but uh, I will of course run soon uh, 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 that I will be, uh, not have more of that material so I can use. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course tools is uh, difficult when I don't have the school to uh, work at now. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, perfect. So uh, here's a question. How does the museum reconnect artists and society? How to bridge the gap between those who are lacking resources to become engaged in art and artists who are lacking the experience of the former? Uh, How can museums be relevant for people who don't have a relationship to art? Okay how it can be relevant um i mean if it's about how it can be re- relevant then you of course have to uh, understand society and uh, my opinion on that is that uh, when it comes to art it is for some uh, very difficult to understand the conceptual art because it goes too far away from just being something to be admired. And I think it is difficult for people to understand uh, like the aesthetic part of art in itself when there's like an idea of uh, that represent something. That there's like uh, the connection there might be uh, uh, difficult maybe. I'm curious because when you were talking about conceptual conceptual art, I started to wonder if they're like what's the equivalent in another field that is accept, easily accepted by people, because you know like most people aren't familiar with conceptual art or they're dismissive of it. Yeah. So can either of you can either of you think of a way a conceptual framework in another field that people accept? 
that they don't question as much or or disregard are you are you thinking of like uh of of the reason like that uh it's disrespected because uh i think it has to do with the sort of the expectations or just correct me if like if i'm misunderstanding you but i'm thinking uh is is it disrespected because people already have an idea and an expectation of what they want from art and when they don't have that what they expect and want from art happening that's Mm -hmm. why they disapprove of like the other things yeah or Or... they feel like someone is either playing a joke on them or trying to make them look stupid or that someone's getting by with something you know like like kind of like the emperor's new clothes you know the story of the emperor who's Mm. walking around naked and everyone's saying oh like it looks great (laughs) um are there any fields where you think i was just trying to think of like uh, popular entertainment is there anything that people accept that we would consider to be conceptual uh, theater maybe when that can also be in made in a conceptual way that might mm-hmm. uh, uh, be more acceptable by people because it's in an arena maybe for uh, yeah. but that's like but then you go into like performance too but like i think performance and theater is like uh two different sides but in theater it's more accepted because it's theater and performance is so like spontaneous and people do like things that are what they know maybe yeah or you know like what's expected of you as an audience as well Mm. true yeah in theater for the most part yeah. I mean, I have I have been to plays where the actors come and interact with the audience, and I'm always terrified. Like, please don't. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> don't pick but on I'm me. Thinking, um, I'm just thinking now of like the of the um, like what causes because when you ask like what where does this exist in other places, but I isn't sort of the the like the what did you call it not the dislike but the this what did you call it distaste or the distaste yeah that that's about like a lack of trust somehow yeah you know like if you trust or sort of know who it's coming from Mm -hmm. uh, then you automatically will sort of give it some credit in some way i'm just like thinking of people's or like i'm thinking of fake news or sort of the general like distrust in in in, like not uh, what's it called kunskap knowledge uh and this like skepticism of science all these things that exist it's like a like a this general mistrust that's in a lot of places and often Mm -hmm. mistrust of people's expertise or like or uh, like in-depth research whether it be art or science or anything Mm -hmm. no i think you're right i i think it does have a lot to do with trust and i think it has to do with feeling betrayed in other situations like if it comes to if we're just talking about performance art i went to a performance where uh, i was sitting you know it was by a friend and she was like come sit in the front row and me and another friend who did not want to be part of her performance at all we're like, mm-hmm. if we sit in the front, are you going to involve us or do anything to us? Like, we had no idea what to expect. And she was like, yeah. no, no, nothing's going to happen. Don't worry. And then the first thing she did is came and sat on my friend's lap. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, so there's this like, yeah. So you have these, when someone has betrayed that trust, 
like that, then you have that in your head whenever someone has a performance. You're like, I'm not going to be anywhere near the front. I yeah. don't want to, you know, so they're, the, yeah, it's not without any uh, justification that people don't trust. No. Uh, I mean, everything, you know. I also think that another part that is important is that uh, when it comes to what people is supposed to be expecting is that in art it's uh, especially in our time it is so much so they don't know what to expect so they it's like a a big jungle that you need to find something in and uh, it's like in in art it's like you're not supposed to like everything but it's like those th there are a few things that you will automatically like but to find those few things you will like might be difficult especially if you're not into art and then mm. it's like how are you going to start finding something you like and then yeah. it's like the expectation of because if you just see something and then you just discard it because you didn't like it then you can mm. automatically also discard everything because you just think that oh all art is bad because it didn't meet up to my expectation yeah mm -hmm. so i think it, yeah. yeah you're really like what you're touching on right now has a lot to do with the question like how do we bridge that gap between people who are lacking the resources to become engaged in art. So like maybe someone who uh, hasn't had any, you know, like in the public school systems that I've been in, in, in the United States, there have been, uh, you know, I had one art class the entire time mm. in middle school. And yeah. so there's like a lack of resources for just even for making art, having art classes. Yeah. And mm. then on top of that, for getting an art education. And if your art education is only, a limited time frame of history with a limited scope of the people who are making art during that time. Mm. Um, you know, how do you get someone who doesn't decide to pursue an art career to care to go any further than that? Like, cause art history yeah. is being made every day, especially in contemporary institutions. So like, how do you, I, it's, I think it's a difficult question. Yeah. Is, I, I, mm -hmm. Now I'm just thinking of how extremely important it is just like being exposed to art and what you were saying now, Christopher, uh, regarding uh, like uh, that you might not, uh, you will discard everything because there's some one thing you don't like. That it's just so important to, um, to have uh, like a a flourishing amount of of something to be able to pick out what's important to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, cause I know that it's like due to like a couple of books that I would just really, really liked at home as a kid that made me, you know, like interested in art. And mm. if it wasn't for those books, I don't know, you know, like there were some images or some things that I really, really liked and and they were there for me and I could sort of find myself in them and they made me, yeah. Uh, I also think it's important with a sort of uh, like a balance in this because if you're getting exposed of too much because it's like art is a lot uh, and if you get too much exposed then you like also get like oh it's too overwhelming and it becomes too much also so it's like uh, because i have also i have experienced this part that uh, i get so much art that it get almost like oh too much and i just want well, to take like what a does distance. that mean does that mean when art school drags you to the venice biennale or what does it yeah mean? yeah <laughs> yeah because you you all went in uh october did you go or yeah in, in yeah in october we went to uh biennale in venice and uh i felt that it became uh too much of uh because it's like a lot of information because art is a lot of information and 
it's like just eventually I just uh, instead of just uh, looking at things I was just running through to just see things and then it just became meaningless almost so I had to like find like some few that was interesting and stay with them mm. because it was just so much and you cannot look at everything mm-hmm. and you have to kind of get over that fear of missing out because that someone's gonna say did you see the yeah. Yeah. pavilion and you'd be like no I didn't <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think something that's really important for for an artwork to be interesting is that someone says this is so important. This means the world to me. You know, like and if that in mm. the person who says that is someone I trust, then it's like okay, I really should give this a second chance or I should check this out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I was part of running a place in Stavanger a couple of years ago, and one of my friends is sort of like. Uh, told me that he was like curious he's a painter Alexi Vilhagen and he asked me like uh, wonder what it would be to to just show one painting like no context just like one painting and I was like yeah let's do that and I invited him to in the gallery to show one painting so he would take like a night train to Stavanger bring one painting under his arm and we would do like one full weekend all about this one painting and we had like seminar discussing like a reading like different stuff but all about this painting and mm-hmm. uh and to me it was uh and for people who was there, people appreciate it. But I, but I found for me as well, it, it, uh, it's sort of like contrast to Venice, or or actually like, uh, deciding on something and saying this is important. And if I say this is important, you have to come and see this one painting. Then I noticed that people got extra excited. Who wants to show just one piece of work? And like mm-hmm. this one piece of work got to be real special. <laughs> and it became sort of a, a situation where. I, it's just like giving something value is important, but giving also like why to give it value. It this mm-hmm. was an abstract painting, and it felt amazing to say like, "Hey, let's just look at this. Let's look at it as if it was like a in a movie theater." And we like even like made it comfortable so people can sit and just like <laughs> look at this one piece of work. Mm-hmm. No, so in one way I'm saying it's really important to be exposed to like lots of art, but it's also in, in which way. But like one thing is like growing up with art or having like art being like a, uh, like a, uh, a natural almost, or like a, being a part of everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about this in, um, you know, with other, in other conversations we've had this season about um, what the museum can do to engage people from a younger age, like from all ages. So, you know, there's some museums that have like the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis. I talk about a lot because I've worked there and I showed there. Um, But they have stroller tours and it's like a day when uh, caretakers can come with their babies Mm. and be together and see the art. And, you know, like not like if everyone has a little baby with them, then then there's no worry if there's crying or, you know, the type of thing. Yeah, yeah usually make you leave um so there are different ways to have people engage with art from a young age and be exposed and to go outside the walls of the museum and go into schools and maybe you know retirement homes and wherever else people Mm. are and engage with like all ages and levels of art education yeah it's somehow like i feel it's like this mix of making like art be normal (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like or just like uh 
not weird at the same time I'm giving it value maybe maybe it's like it's also weird because then I also have this question like but does everyone really need art you know am I just obsessing but but I I think of art in like such a broad sense or like basically like stuff that may, like widens the brain you know like that yeah. helps us understand each other and to I don't know to care more for whatever <laughs> I think also yeah. it's like like what you're talking about there is like that we get like a small doses of it in in a long term because then it will be more uh, it is uh, easy for people to like uh, get into it so if you start from young age and you get a little bit of art all the time until you grow up you will also ex uh, ex accept it uh, more easily yeah I think also um, I was just thinking about uh, another institution I worked for the Pulitzer Arts Foundation they have programming that gets people to come to the museum who might not come there like they have a um, they had a nurture nurturing network where it was about caretakers and so it was a fair where doulas and um, caretakers could give resources to each other to share resources and people came in and I heard them say like wow I didn't even know this place was here because the building is very, it's not very like, it's a concrete block basically that you can't really tell what's going on from the street. And I, you know, since I worked there, I was like, yeah, just so you know, you can come anytime and it's free and you can just come and hang out and like you could sit in the lounge or whatever, you know, the listening library upstairs. Um, but there's other like poetry readings, you know, some people might be in the literary scene, but not necessarily the art scene. And then they come mm. and then they meet other people and they see them regularly and you know, it becomes like a bigger community. And then there's like a um, drag show and, you know, just all kinds of activities that will bring a variety of people mm. into the space. Mm. And they might not go all the time. Some exhibitions won't be of interest to people, but then it's somewhere where if you see an ad for it, you're like, oh, I, I've been there. I'm familiar with that place. I Maybe I'll go see it. Yeah. So I think, you know, you said, you, Anna, that you think of art broadly. I think it should be like a museum should have all the arts in it. Mm. Because people are interested in, in art, you know, whether it's film or yeah, poetry or, you know, there's like a lot of art forms. And if a museum, art museum is a place that hosts events that incorporate all of those things, you're, you're just automatically going to get a bigger audience. Yeah. And broader. Oh, here's another one. It also feels like a little bit strange to, because this is a question uh, from like an older art. I don't know, like, but but it's an artist, and, uh, and I know, like, asking you is so also someone like in the start of your work, but mm. let's um, do it anyway. Let's do it anyway and see what what happens. Yeah. Um, how important is consistency in my work? Can I work in more than one style and still be marketable? If you can work in many styles. Yeah, and still be uh, marketable. I would say uh, yes, because um, uh, I think it's important that you work in many styles because that will widen your knowledge in the art form. Mm. But I would also say that if you are going to work in a, a lot of fields, it's uh, important that you also try to find out who you are as an artist in the way of working with uh, the different forms because uh, mm. say if you have uh, um, if you like for example um, 
one subject, then you can try to work on that subject over many fields. So mm -hmm. whether you want or not to work on many fields, I think it's more about what you want to work on. Because uh, you can always move things over to many art forms, like performance mm -hmm. and models and mm -hmm. drawing and stuff like this. I think it's, all of this is just uh, de developing your own uh, way of being. So you're sort of saying that it's in order to like continue developing yourself, it can actually be like it's a plus to work in, uh, to to like expand. Yeah, mm -hmm. because it's like uh, it's like when you work, is do you want to just dig one hole down or do you want to go on the surface and cover more of uh, the art forms? Because it's like you can go only one direction and only. Uh, master one uh, form of art and become really good at it or you can kind of cover the field a bit more so you can understand what mm. you what you have as a what you can work with because then you're but, covering uh, the area of but, uh, yeah. but if you're covering the area maybe you won't be able to go deep enough uh, yeah but then then that's I, I think that's where you have to like make a decision of uh, what you want to do do you want to widen that spectrum of uh, uh, art forms and and ways you can uh, create uh, new things? Or do you want to go mm. really deep into uh, one uh, art form and really understand it? And I think that's like a part of becoming an artist too, to decide uh, how you want to be an artist because you mm. can go both ways. Because it's like, how do you use your time? When you're um, saying this, I, I'm picturing, because you said dig deep or dig in a wider area, and I'm picturing a garden. Mm. And I'm picturing, you know, some some plants require you to dig deeper, like carrots, um, in order for them to have, like, fluffy soil mm. and to grow straight down instead of into, like, fingers or something. And then other things, you can kind of scatter on the surface and water them, and mm. they'll, they'll still grow. And That's so interesting. I, mm. Yeah, so to think of your art career as like a garden, maybe. Yeah. And you can cultivate different parts and sometimes other parts will be like dormant and, you know, mm. you'll harvest harvest other parts. You know, like t there's mm. like a different set of uh, time schedules for different things. Because I'm kind of someone who like does a broad variety of things and I find that I, there's certain things I return to and I don't even notice I'm returning to them. I don't do it on purpose. And then I'm like, oh, I 10 years ago. I was actually like asking myself the same questions in a different way. Mm. Um, so I think that if you think of it as different like stages of your life, you don't have to mm. do the one thing forever. You could do it for 10 years and then you yeah. could move on and do something else. Or it could, I tend to do like things that overlap. So I, a lot of my work mm. is textiles now, but that's not all it is. I still, you know, do other things um, that interest me. Like I don't let the materiality be the only thing that, uh, mm. th that I focus on. It was funny, you were in the garden, I was like, is it a well, or is it a pond, or is it a lake? <laughs> and I was like, well, I want to swim in the water, but maybe I also want to drink it. <laughs> I was, yeah. And that works too. I mean, it's yeah. all water in the end. Yeah, yeah, it's all water in the end. Yeah, I also think like something gardening-ish too when I yeah. said it like so. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh. I guess the thing that's hardest about that question is the word marketable. Do you find, do you guys find that? to be because uh, that's that's where I have the issue because I think how important is consistency in my work I don't 
I don't think it's important. But then this person wants to be marketable. So I don't know because I'm not very marketable. So I, you know, I'm not maybe the person to give advice on this. No. Uh, Oh, wait. I'm like, no, not like that. (laughs) But I was like, do we even talk? I don't know. Maybe we're we're almost done talking to people, but I don't know anyone's like, well, I have like a, I have a few. No, I I, I know some people that are marketable, but. Hmm. And others, do they have a consistent style? Yes. Okay. So maybe it is important if you want to be marketable. Hmm. I don't know. But I think, I guess it depends like on what, what market as well. Yeah. I've always been thinking like, uh, as long as I don't have to think about uh, money, I'll, I'll do, I'll just do work as broad, not as broadly, but I, I'll just like do the, craziest shit i can yeah until no one with selling it yeah not be concerned about it and when i have to then i'll reconsider but then i've also been thinking well then that's when i start teaching you know like i'll do Mm. something else but i don't Mm -hmm. know but then the question so we talked with another student from your school about um a little bit about sustainability and making you know you meant you don't want to make art that just becomes trash in the world and so for me i've you know that's the thing about selling work is is that, I mean, that's the one positive thing besides money, but that's the one positive thing is that you know that the work isn't going to be trash. Somebody wants it and they bought it and they mm. want to they wanna look at it and live with it mm. or show it or whatever, you know? So I don't know. It's like I have mixed feelings about so many things, like, you know, the idea of marketability, but then at the same time, when you have like a storage unit full of art, that's not very sustainable. No. <laughs> no. It's difficult. I was talking to an institution yesterday of a one like a a work thing that was postponed because of this virus. And then she was like, "Well, what are you thinking now?" And then I was like, "Well, I'm just really I'm just like really sick of objects." <laughs> and I and I, and then I was like, "Oh, why do I like maybe I should like not talk about that that loudly when like people want to work with me?" And I was like, oh, "I don't really know what I think about like showing stuff." <laughs> stop you know like i gotta stop saying that i don't know but <clears throat> and now we'll hear from staff at the national museum okay my name is uh, birgit jordan i'm uh, working in the library in the national museum of art architecture and design i've been working in an art library since 1998 so i'm one of the veterans in the, in the national museum I've been there for quite some time, yes. And it's been a lot of changes. Well, um, I guess we could just go into the first question then. Okay. It is crucial for a museum to be open. The museum should not instruct nor teach, but actually communicate, mediate. How is the openness of the museum reflected in its exhibition texts, educational resources, etc., in the first meeting with the museum? Ah, interesting. It should be open. Yes, of course, it should be open for everybody. And it should be, um, a lot of people who come to the museum also want to be educated and have instructions mm. on what to do. And, and But it also should be uh, constructed in a way that you can just come in and be there, you know, if you just want to be there and uh, uh, just experience the art. Or in my, um, uh, in my work in the library, and just come in and uh, not be told what to do, but just to be there, you know. Mm. And then just have the time or the space or the uh, uh, 
facilities for just to be there and get get orientated on your on your own uh, time or your own uh, your own devices if you want mm. alone or with somebody yes well i i have some a little bit more uh, follow-up because uh, in yeah. several of the conversations that we had when we talked about how can the museum be more open uh, another institution that often uh, cu- jumps into the uh, conversation are libraries like yes. libraries in general in Norway has had such a big change and then oh, yes. we were thinking because you work in a library at the museum so you have both the sort of the perspective of the museum but also like uh, you are probably very familiar with uh, how libraries have changed the last uh, years so how do you think of the museum going towards the library? Oh yes, yes. There will be not a discussion as a library, as a, a space, or what kind of space it should be or could be. Uh, and uh, openness. It depends on what you mean to openness. It means how how do I meet you? You know, do I meet you with an open mind? Are the users uh, how are they met? Because they are supposed to. Mm-hmm. They should be met with a sort of an open mind, and that whoever you are and whatever you need. It's been some time uh, since I've been thinking about these things, but we do think about <laughs> it all the time. But as a, as a library and art museum, we also have a, a mission to sort of put, uh, uh, um, make a context around what yeah. you experience in the museum. But uh, a library is always um, a challenge is sort of create a sort of a very low threshold uh, uh, to enter, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, we don't, we shouldn't be demanding any kind of uh, level of education or knowledge from you when you enter the library. But at the same time, we also uh, demand from ourselves to be sort of a, a, a high qualified library as well, you know. So, mm. uh, so it's a. Uh, uh, but same time, we look at uh, we all uh, we have a lot of respect for the, the public library in, in Norway, especially Oslo, and whatever they've done to to uh, uh, make the public uh, come to the library and uh, mm. uh, experience something else than just reading books, you know. It, uh, mm-hmm. But the public want the libraries to be sort of kind of educational or instructional, or, or where they can actually uh, get something more than just being, you know. Mm. So what are what are some of the strategies that the National Museum has beyond, you know, to make the library somewhere beyond uh, reading books? Uh, it is a sort of, uh, I have to say, this is an art library and the most of uh, our material are books. Uh, mm. But uh, mm-hmm. we have everything from researchers on a PhD level to school children, mm. yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we have to have... Um, to meet them, uh, meet their needs, and we have to sort of uh, guess uh, or think about uh, uh, what their needs could be, you know. And uh, we have to say that our library has been uh, not uh, really close to the public because it hasn't been, always been very open. We always have an open door policy. You don't have to make an appointment to come yeah. to our library. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you have been sort of kind of hidden. Yeah, I'm familiar with that kind of uh, structure because I worked at a museum and the only I, it's a museum I had been to many times before. I didn't know they had a library and then yes. I also didn't know it was open to the public because you could never see it. You had Actually, to it's a just bag. a marketing issue, you know. You haven't yeah, been very yeah. good in, in actually market of, of uh, 
what we have you know, and uh, what we can offer to the public. Because we always mm-hmm. want more public in the library, you know. We want to be a, we want to be a place to uh, for uh, kind of we want the energy, you know, and uh, uh, we want uh, the public to sort of have a space where uh, uh, where they can just be and meet and uh, meet knowledge or meet uh, context or meet uh, and interact with other people as well, you know. Because uh, mm-hmm. in our library, uh, people. Um, meet from all kind of levels. It's just not just school kids or researchers or people from uh, art business or uh, curators and uh, um, educational uh, staff at the museum. So it's, it's kind of a, we, we want to kind of be a sort of kind of melting pot, you know, from uh, mm-hmm. people from all kinds of uh, the public life or uh, all kinds of people and of all, all levels of education or whatever, you know. If you just want to look at a book with nice pictures, of course you can do that. Or if you want mm-hmm. to uh, uh, see some very uh, important archival material from the archives, mm. you will have a space and the uh, piece uh, to do that, you know. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm curious, um, since this is an advice podcast and the museum is asking us for advice, if yes. you have any questions um, that you want help with. Uh, you know, it's, as I told you, um, the libraries and art museums are very often, uh, like our situation, be kind of hidden, you know? So mm. uh, the, uh, the users who have come and visited us before, there are not many and they know us very well. And, mm-hmm. and most of them just know what they want and come and ask for them. It, so, uh, but now we are going to be part of the museum. And mm-hmm. the opening hours are going to be uh, hopefully the same uh, opening hours as the museum. So we don't know. So we are sort of get, uh, thinking that uh, we are going to have a sort of rather kind of a new type of public. And who are mm-hmm. they, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I must admit myself, when I go and visit a museum, I, I don't sort of drop in t- just coincidentally into the library, but uh, it would be more accessible, you know, for the public. Mm. So uh, so we are um, thinking that we are going to have a new kind of public, a new kind of users, and who are they? What do they want, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, oh. uh, maybe they think about the library as the same type of facilities as the cafe or the shop or, or, or something, and that mm. will be a new situation for us. Mm. So uh, that's what we really want, and what do they need when they come to us, really, you know. I think that's the type of thing that maybe uh, the museum will have to be open to over time, ad- adapting to that, mm. because as people come, you'll start to see what is missing, hopefully, and get feedback. Yeah. Um, did they, were they able to find it? Could they see it? Did they know they could use it? Did they feel welcome? Um, mm. do, what kind of resources are there? Can they watch videos? Can they listen to performance, you know, performances? Yeah. Uh, like, can they, do, are there drawers where they can see work up close? Like, you know, maybe some prints? Like, what, what is the scope of, uh, access that people have to materials through the library? Mm. Well, we're trying to have a very sort of, uh, um, uh, high level of accessibility for the materials mm. or the book and we're going to be quite open so uh, it's not sort of you have to ask for a book and then wait 
till we mm-hmm. find it for you for the next two days or something, you know. <laughs> and and so yeah. we are planning to sort of develop a website uh, 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 with a good place of information, like it can get the answers that you asked. And we also try to uh, planning to have a sort of out- outreach programs to uh, the students, art students, and artists, and mm. art students, not all, only art history. Of course, uh, we think uh, a library can be a good place for uh, uh, learning uh, mm. and uh, inspiration, you know. Yeah. Actually, talking about this, I was uh, there's another um, question that I don't know if you have thought about yourself, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going to read it because it could maybe relate to, to sort of the future of the library. How can smaller institutions work better with the museum? How can they create a better working relationship? Uh, and what could the museum be expecting from small institutions? Uh, well, uh, as a library, we look upon ourselves as a sort of uh, uh, um, the main art library in Norway, mm. or maybe even in the Nordic one countries, because what most people don't know, we are one of the largest art libraries in the Scandinavia. So, mm. and uh, now in this uh, digital age, it's so much easier to cooperate, even uh, in our uh, electronic catalogs. You know, we can uh, mm. cooperate about how to index books. It's sort of very nerdy uh, thing, you know, but it's quite <laughs> important, you know. And that's so that uh, uh, other institutions or uh, art libraries can use our knowledge uh, with our own collections. And uh, also uh, the interlibrary loans, another nerdy thing, but it makes it so much easier. They don't have to buy their own books. They can use our, you understand? Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's what we're really hoping for. I have a very close, tight a relationship with other art libraries in the Scandinavian area. We always have, we already have our um, organization. I don't know if you know about the Arles Art Libraries uh, Society. Oh. It's international. Mm-hmm. We meet every year mm-hmm. for conferences. So we have a, already a quite a close network. And so that's what we have to do now is trying to... Uh, um, even get closer, even in the cooperation of... Uh, our user catalogs or sharing, you know, what we have. Oh. So it's been easier for, because a lot of libraries around, they don't have the finances for and the resources to keep a large collection. They Most art libraries are actually art school, college libraries, you know, they have to oh. care about the students in a different way yeah. than we do. So maybe we can have, and it's sort of like being a sort of, uh, uh, Sparehead or um, I don't know Knutepunkt, uh, you know the, the central um, library yeah, of art, the yeah. meeting meeting point. Yeah, or the central sort of uh, mm. yes, mm, because we have the resources to go into this really nerdy cataloging things, you know, mm-hmm. that other libraries can't do or have the resources to do, you know. Sometimes we're doing outreach work as well, and really hope yeah. to get it closer cooperation with the art schools and uh, mm-hmm. uh, art history studies mm, around in Scandinavia, at least. So they can use our resources, you know. Because we are quite competent, you know, in the uh, art library. Uh, so we just have to spread the word, you know. 
Yeah. That we're here, we can use us, you know. Yeah. Mm, not only physically coming to the library, because I know a lot of people like to come to the library because it's peace and quiet, you know, and I need that. And okay, we try to make a space for that too, you know. At the same time, we mm-hmm. want people and have the energy with people meeting, a lot of people as well. So we're trying to yeah. make mm. some spaces for the people who want to just sit quietly for themselves in the corner. Mm. I was actually wanting to know if um, you would like to give a, a advice for a per, like a personal advice because the previous seasons we've mo- been giving advice to individuals. Yes. Um, and we still receive questions from people about their personal lives. So uh, would you wow. be interested in helping helping someone? <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? You could try. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So. Um, uh, it's from for an artist, but uh, with our different life experience, maybe we still can give some advice. So the question is as follows. Do you have any advice on how to combine freelance work and your own work as an artist? I have a lot of trouble finding enough hours in a day and everything seems to have the same priority. Oh, uh, <laughs> how to prioritize your time? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because I'm quite lazy, you know. <laughs> I'm not very good, good at it. Even I'm 54 years old and I still can't really uh, uh, handle the procrastination or, or how to prioritize <laughs> my time. It's just, well, uh, what the only thing that helped me is making lists, to-do lists. Mm. Mm, and it's so satisfactory to just cross out the things I've done Definitely. And it really can calm you at the end of the day and you plan for the next day and you make a list what you have to do. Mm. And sort of uh, your mind starts sorting at the same time. That's the only mm. thing that can help me sort of uh, work related, mm. you know. But for freelance artists, oh, I don't know. It's, it's a hard life, isn't it? Especially in these days. So I just do oh, mm. Best of luck because they mm-hmm. have to make money and then they have to do other things. And I guess yeah. artists have spent a lot of time preparing and they're, they're working so hard. So, and uh, most of them have to have other jobs as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, I wish you everything the best, you know, and it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> but they could come to the library and look at some books and relax and maybe they meet somebody else. Because uh, we try to meet uh, maybe for artists too, as to have a meeting place outside their studios and oh, and really galleries. Nice. And because we are sort of very low key, low level, you know, you don't have to show off. Or, or um, uh, artists that work so hard in sort of networking and trying to be seen or trying to be heard. Uh, or but in the library, you can just relax and sit in the sofa and read a newspaper or the light, latest edition of Vogue, you know, it's very nice. <laughs> mm. Well, in the, in the question, one thing that I find interesting, because like you said, you know, you said maybe you're not the best person to give advice on this, but we've talked about, kind of talked about organizing time before, and Anna is, likes to stick to a schedule and go to bed, um, you know, at a decent hour and wake up early, um, and that helps her feel stable and be able to work well. And then I have a more chaotic way of living without any kind of structure. Um, so I think the thing I see in the question is, I mean, they're asking, you know, how to how to find enough hours in the day, but also they're saying that everything seems to have the same priority. Do you have any advice for how to prioritize things? Like when you have your lists, how do you decide? You can't do everything at once, and you have to really think 
And I think many people are, are too ambitious, you know, and making too many yeah. demands of yourself. You know, you have to do so many things, but you really you don't. You can live very well without doing everything at once, you know. So I think you have to divide between immediate things or things you can postpone and cross out all the things you don't really have to do, you know. I don't have that many things to do, so I'm more relaxed, you know. Maybe that's why I'm a librarian. You are the artist, you know. Of course, I can't stand <laughs> all when it's too much, you know. So this is a, a formal thing, a fear of missing out thing. It's very hard, you know. That's really... Uh, just forget about it, you know. You missed yeah. out, and so what, you know. You're still here. Mm. Thanks for listening to season three of Ask Adelie and Anna, which was commissioned by the National Museum in Norway.